All right, everyone. Today on the show, we have David Zorko, who is the general manager of NewScholars.com. So this episode actually has a backstory to it. Uh, we recorded it last week on Zencaster, um, which is a software that records my audio and the guest's audio separately. And uh, after we finished recording, none of David's audio worked, so we had to run it back this week on Zoom. Uh, big shout out to David, being patient enough to you know take the time to troubleshoot and actually do it again. So we made it happen. So in this episode, we talk about big overview of what New Schoolers is, who works there, what they do. Um, we go into David's responsibilities with ad sales and kind of pushing the strategic vision for who they're aligning themselves with. Uh, we talk about who's pushing the culture, and hopefully we can continue that conversation uh, with some of these other New Schoolers guests in the future. And then at the end, we do some uh, listener questions. So as always, you can submit those on our Instagram, at 2 Pod. And yeah, if you like the show, be sure to subscribe and give us a rating. Other than that... Hope you enjoy it. So we're here with David again after the failed recording. I'll explain the whole thing in the intro that precedes this so everyone will be caught up. So uh, David, thanks for joining us again. Of course. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. So um, as a refresher for me and to kind of set it up for everybody else, who are you and what do you do? So I am the general manager of newschoolers.com. Uh, my name is David Zorko. I've been working in the ski industry for, I guess, seven and a half years at this point. Great. So in the week that uh, that things have been messed up, we've kind of come up with a new idea. So I'm going to be running through the uh, new schooler staff as best as possible uh, to try to get a whole picture of what you guys are doing. So before we get started, like, do you want to kind of give an overview of the team at new schoolers and just like a brief bit about what everybody does? Sure. Uh, yeah. So we are currently a team of three who work at new schoolers full time. We're normally a team of four, uh, but our social media manager and digital marketing manager, Matt Kretschmar, just quit at the end of March. Uh, so we're currently trying to fill in that role. First off, trying to dis- define what that role really is going to be, but then uh, finally like filling in the, that those shoes uh, once we have that clearer picture. So, okay, so I, I'm, uh, I'm leading the team as general manager and as the sales manager. So my main goal or my main responsibility is making sure that we've got revenue in news scores and we can keep operating as a business. Uh, the other two people that work with me are Peter Matlashewski and Adam Spensley, or also known as Twig. So P- Peter is my right-hand man for sales. He takes care of probably about half the, half the other sales um, for, for both news scores, but also for like the other titles that we represent uh, under the Adventure Sports Network. Uh, so for those who don't know, NewsWars is actually part of a larger company. So it's the Adventure Sports Network that also uh, encompasses uh, Snowboarder Magazine, Powder Magazine, Surfer Magazine, Bike Magazine. Now, if you've been following the news, a lot of those titles don't even, don't, don't really operate anymore. Uh, so right now it's, I would almost say it's, it's mainly NewsWars and Snowboarder that are still kicking it and kind of going strong. Um, so Peter and I are basically, you know, we handle sales uh, mostly for news scores, but also for some of these other titles. Uh, Peter also t- takes care of a lot of 
operations management uh, and making sure that, so beyond just taking care of uh, closing deals and doing some sales for new scores, he also does a lot of uh, like ad operations and makes sure that things go smoothly with the campaigns for execution. So not only for selling, but also for executing and making sure that uh, the client's happy at the end with the product. And then we've got Adam Spensley. Uh, most people know him as Twig and he is our editor and he's, he's in charge of our content program from A to Z. So he's, uh, he's got a, a list or, or a roster of journalists that he can um, hire here and there throughout the season for, for different uh, articles that, we're, that we'd create or interviews or uh, event coverage. But he's also, you know, that sort of that voice that's meant to basically be the soul of new schoolers and why uh, people look up to us as, uh, you know, a reference in the ski industry for, um, for content in our space. So, yeah, so right now we're three people uh, looking to hire a fourth one, probably, probably in about a month or a month and a half, where I think we're going to put a job posting out in late May. Uh, and the main, the main role within that is going to be managing our social media channels. Mm -hmm. And so what do those social media channels cover right now? Instagram and Facebook. They're the, those are the main ones that we handle on a day-to-day -day basis. We, we've been avoiding TikTok. Um, but I haven't posted I, on there in a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so like, you know, Matt, Matt, when he was working with us, did a little bit of ex experimenting with TikTok and it was a really interesting platform to get into uh, because it's almost like anything can go viral, like even if you don't have much of an audience. Um, so yeah, it's super interesting. It's something that we're probably not gonna be able to avoid for much longer. And whoever's gonna be taking over is going to have it as part of their job to develop our TikTok audience. Mm -hmm. So those, those are the three probably that we're gonna be looking at mostly. Like, you know, we, we used to do Twitter, but we've kind of abandoned that because it wasn't as good of a fit as Facebook and Instagram that are a little more visual, I would say. And because we, we have a lot of visual content and that's a big part of why people follow us. Um, now that role also takes care of sending out email blasts, whether they're content-based or for branded content. Mm -hmm. Great. So those are your kind of staff roles. So um, looking at like uh, on the, on the website itself. So wh what role do the moderators play? Are they paid? How do you acquire them? Like, what, what does that side of it look like? Moderators are not paid. Moderator, I mean, yeah, they'll, we'll offer them some, some deals on, on ski equipment here and there. Like we'll, we'll make them part of our pro deals if, uh, if they ask us or if brands want to extend a spe special offer to them. But they're not paid. They're, for the most part, some engaged users that have been on Newsource for some time and that care enough about the community to want to make sure that we're filtering out all the bad stuff. Mm -hmm. And so is that, is that a thing where someone's on it 24 seven? So you're like, Hey, let's tap you in as a moderator or do they approach you or is there some sort of uh, in between? So there's no structure to have somebody there 24 seven. So it would be great to be able to do that, but um, you know, naturally certain things slip through the cracks. We try, we try not to miss anything uh, as much as possible, but 
you know, kind of is what it is. You know, we, we don't have a very defined structure for it. Uh, for the most part, it's people that, you know, there, there, there's a mix of both, right? There, there's us recruiting moderators, and then there's also people asking, like, hey, you know, I'd love to be a moderator and be a part of this, this group and help the community. So it's a bit of a mix of both. We typically leave it to, we leave the decision to our head moderator who used to work for us, who used to, who was employed by us for a number of years, Evan Heath. And he's basically got like the final say on whether we onboard a new moderator or not. Wow. There we go. I didn't know Ehe had such a big role for like the actual operations of the site. Um, well, I mean, yeah, he, he's our head moderator, right? Like he's 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 always been very engaged on the, in the community, and uh, you know, since since he started working at another company and and he left his role at New Schoolers, so he still wanted to be involved. Well, shit, like I mean, we'd love to have you stay on stay on board as our head moderator, and something that he'd always been involved with, and so. Um, so yeah, so he's he's still he's still a part of it um, on that end for sure. Nice. So something you hinted at um, that I feel like should be like kind of just laid out is the ownership structure of New Schoolers as it is right now, and then we can go into the history of it because what you told me when we spoke last week about how um, you guys are kind of like. Uh, like subcontractors almost like could you explain how how new schoolers works and how the licensing works and all of that absolutely yeah so uh, so of the team that i described to you so myself peter and twig nobody works directly for new schoolers we all work for this agency based out of montreal that's owned by doug bishop who used to uh used to own new schoolers used to be the general manager of new schoolers after that um so he's off doing his own thing now, but he still owns the agency that operates everything that runs New Schoolers. So uh, we are hired by who is now A360 Media. A360 Media is the owner of the Adventure Sports Network. Adventure Sports Network being the umbrella above New Schoolers and Snowboarder Mag and Powder and Bike Surfer. So we have a contract with them and they pay us monthly to run everything from development to social media strategy to content strategy, sales, uh, basically, basically everything. Um, you know, like they, they'll help us out with accounting or you know billing. They'll they'll bill, they'll bill our our clients. Um, but it's it's a pretty good deal in the sense that we don't have the risk of owning new schoolers and you know. They, it helps to have a big company behind it for, for a number of reasons, um, but it's a very unique structure. And every time I explain it, people are like, "Oh my God, really? Like that's so strange." And it really is strange. So, like you know, when I when I cross the border, when I fly to Denver or or wherever for a, for a business trip, and I say it's a business trip, like I have to tell the customs agent that I work for the Bishopway Inc which is this, this agency in Montreal, and I'm a sales representative. Like, if they looked up my LinkedIn, I, that probably mean I, I'm going to spend at least four hours at the borders uh, just explaining this whole situation. Because what we do is perfectly legal, um, like uh, totally allowed. It's just that, you know, when you, when you cross the border, it's totally up to their interpretation, and they can really be dicks about it. Um, Doug's had some really bad experiences at the border because of that, and um, 
you know, at some point he just decided to hire an immigration lawyer and make sure that we've got documentation for everybody in his company whenever we cross the border uh, so that this never happens again. Mm-hmm. So that is confusing, but that's it's, it's a good way to understand it. So from like the average person's perception, so you guys at the end of the day have no control over whether or not new schoolers lives or dies. Is that correct? What What's in our control is making sure that it's appealing enough to keep new schoolers and not shut it down. Anything beyond that is totally out of our, out of our control. They could decide from one day to the other, new schoolers not making us enough money or, or it's too risky of a business and we don't like the structure of hiring this, this outside consulting firm. It's not like worth the upside. And so they could just totally cancel it and they could cancel it without, I, I think it's like a, a 30 day termination clause that they've got. So they can say, okay, in 30 days, you guys have no more, no more jobs. Yeah, that's pretty, that is pretty intense. Um, so I think yeah, right now would be a good time to maybe give a history of like how it got to this point and like the acquisitions and ma- mainly the ramifications of what happened to the, to the other companies surrounding new schoolers when these acquisitions and new owners came in. Yeah. So, so Doug and his partners, so, uh, yeah, so they sold to the Wasserman group in 2007. Now, like there, there's some of these details that I'm, I'm like, I won't go into like full on details on some of the earlier, earlier history. Like I know some of it, but I don't, I don't know it perfectly. Um, you know, if ever you get a chance to talk to Doug, he'll definitely be able to give you like the, the more in depth um, context behind all of it. But he, they originally sold to the Wasserman group in 2007. And then there was a big financial crisis in 2008 and then they like shut everything down and then or, except for like some of the some of the smaller titles and new scores got sold off to a few other uh companies in the in the subsequent years um and you know doug and his team were able to keep it alive for all that time um and you know so so doug was basically hired like when he sold the company he was hired also to then manage it that's when they had that original contract with his own company here in montreal uh so sort of ever since then we've been running on different iterations of that contract with the with every owner um, later on so at a certain point we joined the company that was also owned by powder magazine and now at which point like we you know we were now like two ski titles in the building um, and there was almost like, you know, even some, some competition in between the two. I should, like, to, to be straight up, there was some like pretty fierce competition between New Scores and Powder for a long time. Um, Doug's told me about it a lot and <laughs> like kind of in bad ways. It was like pretty toxic with, like to be in the same company because all of a sudden it's like, if you're repping New Schoolers, you can't go talk to some of the big players such as, you know, call it Solomon because Solomon is being repped by the guy who's repping Powder. And then the powder guy is supposed to be selling Solomon into new schoolers. Yes. But, but like, because he's the only one talking to them, then he, he'll naturally try to bring all of them, all of Solomon's money into powder, for example, you know, I'm just sort of going with an example, but this like went on for a number of different clients. And that was really hurt, hurtful to uh, how Doug was able to operate new schoolers at the time. Um, now in more recent years, we start like, 
some of the bigger egos left the building and and then it left room for new scores and powder to start working together and so i would say like in the last two or three years i was actually able to collaborate with them a lot more than um you know butting heads with them which was great um i i you know i've actually had some really good experiences working with them um and you know going out to powder week with them and really seeing what, what the whole thing was all about and now it's obviously really disappointing with everything that's happened in the last year uh, and powder being reduced to what it is now. Um, but like, so I, I guess I'll get into that. So, um, you know, then enters COVID in 2019, right? And then everybody at the company is struggling to find revenue, advertising revenue, especially the, the brands who needed to sell through like, you know, spring and summer and, you know, early fall. Um, because that was like when the pandemic was super fresh, like when they locked everything down in, in March, like all of the brands or all of the, all the, a lot of advertisers ended up just canceling all of their campaigns. And so you're, you're left, you're looking at like, you know, bike magazine that had a bunch of stuff planned and then all of a sudden it's just all getting canceled. And so like their, their revenue year was a total disaster. Um, and that was the same for a lot of the other brands, right? Um, and then it, it, it wasn't pretty for any of the winter titles either going into fall and winter, just because there was so much that was still left unknown. Even though like a lot of brands were actually selling through a lot of product and like the, the uh, ski shops were selling out of skis and touring, by, touring equipment in particular. Um, but that being said, come October, early October of 2020, we got the announcement that they were shutting down a lot of the company, like a, a really big part of the company. So you had Bike Magazine, Surfer Magazine, Transworld Skate, Powder, um, all being reduced to either zero or one staff to run like the, the website and the social channels. Snowboarder was able to retain a bit more um, and then new schoolers for some reason got left totally intact so we got like extremely lucky with this whole transition um, and it, it was almost confusing to us to to like just get that announcement and realize okay so so we're all good like what <laughs> uh, and yeah so ever since that announcement that was that was yeah just this past october we've just been hanging on and you know just getting more and more reassurance like yeah okay i guess we're like they consider us as a pretty different beast and um you know one th one thing that i ended up finding out from the owners of the company of, of the of our parent company is that this was largely a purge on their print publications and like one, one of the stats that kind of threw me off was that at the worst part of the pandemic Aside from all of their Adventure Sports Network titles, you know, like like Powder and Surfer, um, because they also run a lot of titles in the entertainment space. So they've got they've got like Us Weekly, In Touch Magazine, National Enquirer, uh, like some fitness magazines, and all of those combined. At the worst part of the pandemic, in in a single month, they were down ninety percent in circulation revenue, which means aside from the troubles they've been having selling advertising for these 
magazines, they weren't selling magazines. Yeah, whether it's like people not not going to airports uh, or just not wanting to touch magazines on a newsstand because maybe somebody else has touched it and nobody wants COVID. So it was a total disaster in terms of selling actual like physical paper magazines. And News Scores being a website that doesn't have that, I think kept us sheltered from the big slashes that they did in October because regardless of how you know maybe like powder wasn't doing as terribly as say in touch magazine at that time my interpretation is that they just kind of lumped all the magazines together and decided we don't want to do this anymore Mm -hmm. and that's um that's a pretty scary thought that you know if they were looking at across the board and just beyond print that new schoolers could have gotten slashed and there's nothing to do because they own the right to, you know, the name, the logo, everything about it. Totally. You know, part of what was strange about this whole thing too, is that they didn't have any interest in selling any of the other titles like powder. Like there were offers on the table. I know that there were some offers on the table that they just straight up refused. Um, They didn't like that. I know of, I don't think they gave any reason or why they weren't interested in selling it. Um, to me, it's just kind of <laughs> the world above our world that I don't understand yet. <laughs> yeah, maybe we could do some digging on that. I'll see what I could pull off. Um, who knows though? That's that seems like a big beast. So we'll put a, we'll put a pin in that idea for now because later we'll circle back to like kind of the opportunities that that provided for for new scores itself. Um, so like maybe go into like. Um, a little bit of the, like the nitty gritty of what you do on a daily basis as the general manager in terms of like talking to advertisers and, and like what, what, what's like preoccupying your time. So we have a sales cycle that is pretty predictable from year to year, right? So our, our main revenue months, I would say are September through September through the end of December would be the more important ones. And then like, there's, there's always some significant stuff that, sort of gets pulled, gets rolled over into February and uh, January and February. But right, like before Christmas basically is our hot, our hot months. And in order to have all your campaigns set up in time for those months, sales cycle can start as early as right now. I was was actually sending out, sending out some media kits today to uh, some of the hard goods brands that, you know, that for example, participated in the ski test with us. So, uh, you know, say like you start the cycle, now you send out media kits and you just try to have as many conversations as you, as you can as early as possible because come like, you know, mid-August when you're, you're, you're getting really close to campaign launch for a lot of these, you're often pretty overwhelmed because, you know, most brands really prefer to commit to something as close to the start date as possible which was something that print didn't have as much of an issue with because for print print advertising, it's like there's a, there's a fixed deadline. And if you don't make that deadline, you're not in the magazine. With digital advertising, you, I, you can literally sign a deal today and launch tomorrow if you have the assets ready, right? So brands know this. And because of that, they, they, they're, they're, there's, there's just like the rare few that, you know, that we very much appreciate but that are able to commit ahead of time and leave us enough time to 
uh, you know, to plan something proper for them, and which in the end is is also just beneficial to to the campaign, but also it's just less stressful for us, uh, both for planning it, but also uh, just for time management when comes like the hot season. So if you were to meet an advertiser and you don't have the media kit on you immediately, how would you describe what, what new schoolers can offer an advertiser? Like what's the demo that you're giving them access to and kind of what community are you opening them up to for someone that doesn't really know what the new schoolers community is? Sure. So, you know, we're, we're an online ski community. We're the, the biggest online ski community in the world. Uh, arguably one of the only ones and our our demographics are largely young males who ski park and all mountain. Uh, now it's you know, we obviously have some female readers and contributors as well, um, but you know it's just like if you're talking like just overall stats, you're you're mainly talking to twenty four to twenty five to thirty four year old males. Um, so. Uh, you know what what we offered what we offer is really access to a community that's been longstanding for a long time it's you know it's the community that logs into new schoolers but it's also the social media followers right so depending on what a client is looking to achieve there's different ways of targeting different parts of the community right um, so for example people who are, like in terms of active users that log into the website that's where you'll really see, you know, the 25 to 34 year olds as a predominant uh, age group. Whereas, you know, if you're trying to reach out to like 13 to 17 year olds, which a lot of brands or, you know, a lot of brands traditionally would think like that's where you'll find, um, or you know, newscores.com is where you'll, you'll find those, uh, those kids. We've actually had a lot of trouble renewing that kind of an audience on newswords.com and like that's the kind of audience that's going to follow us on Instagram instead. So, you know, again, like it, it really depends on what you're trying to reach, what your target is, um, you know, uh, both for who you're trying to reach, but also what kind of message you're trying to put together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so when you're looking at the, the content that you guys do, for like Instagram versus the website, like are, are some of your campaigns specifically targeted to Instagram to reach those younger kids, for example, or, or a lot of the campaigns that you're doing just across the board, like we're going to do it on the website, we're going to do it on Instagram, we're going to run it on Facebook. Most of them are integrated from like through the website and uh, like on the website first and then communicated through our social channels. So we're, yeah, I mean, you could almost you could almost see our social channels as like just like an arm extending from our main platform as like a, a marketing muscle, uh, but you know the reality is like you know we probably reach the most amount of people on Instagram, and so it always has to be a strong communications tool that we can use, um, and that, that's for the most part something that advertisers will expect at least if they're you know doing a, putting a significant campaign together with us um, so 
yeah, you know, like a, a lot of our integrated packages are typically going to include uh, a distribution pack, a distribution campaign that you know either goes on Instagram or Facebook or both. But really, again, it, it, like it depends on what the nature of your uh, of the content that we're going to be promoting or producing is going to be. Mm-hmm. And so, before we get into like a, a a discussion about like the how the culture is shifting a little bit, so so when you're doing a, one of these um, marketing deals, before you mentioned last week, you mentioned branded content. So, what are what do some of these branded content campaigns look like? And um, because that's primarily what they're asking for, right? Right. So branded content is by far the fastest growing facet of our uh, of our offerings. So being able to ask new schoolers to create something in the new schoolers' voice that's going to resonate with our audience and have a positive message for the client. So what those typically look like, it, it, it could be it could be a number of things, right? Uh, probably what we see the most commonly is branded articles. So words and photos when an, when a brand works with one of our journalists, supply some assets, and then that journalist can put everything together in a voice that's going to be recognizable and relatable to our audience. And then you know once we have that article that's all written out, uh, like I said before, is like you know we we then include a distribution package, and that is often going to include you know. Instagram, Facebook, Instagram stories, maybe a newsletter, depending on what it is. Uh, so what these look like, yeah, so could be words and photos, could be videos. Uh, so for example, you know, we've done some video projects for some tourism boards, either in, uh, in Alberta, like we've done some stuff with Ski Big 3, where we went out with some athletes and shot some video at Mount Norquay, Lake Louise, and Sunshine. We've also done some stuff out in uh, Eastern Quebec in the Shikshocks for Quebec Maritimes uh, Tourism Board. So it, it can really range from, uh, yeah, it, it ranges for, for, from a different set of options, but what we tend to find works best is, <laughs> basically just like when the client is ready to to listen to us and actually like figure out some solutions or, or some some ideas that are that we are down to create and that we suggest are going to actually resonate with our audience so like some some brands like show up with a, an idea that's already pre-established and they're like they say like look we want you to create this it's non-negotiable like this is what we want to see and this year you know whatever so it's like all right fine like we'll, we'll do our best and make try to make this as relatable relatable as possible to the audience and sometimes it works sometimes it's you know sometimes it's pretty average and you know that just happens unfortunately but for some brands so for example like i'll give a little shout out to vocal skis who always been like really uh attentive to to our recommendations is like, like here I'll, I'll give an example so this one time vocal was coming fresh off of like this olympic podium where you've got like the the three slope style olympic medalists that are all on vocal skis i think you had like um nick gepper abm and 
Oystein, yeah, it was Oystein Broughton. So those three guys were on the podium and they were like, look guys, like this would be a really cool article if you could feature these three athletes as being, you know, the, the, the sick podium and like the epitome of comp skiing and, um, you know, who have had some epic results and really good runs uh, at the Olympics. And then we, I had Twig on the line. Thank God Twig was there who could like bring a little bit of perspective and say like, hey, look, cool, but everybody knows about this. Everybody, like, you know, if you think of vocal skis, what do you think of first? And most people will say, or at least like in the free ski world, um, you'll, they'll say, look, vocal supports the top, a lot of the top competition skiers. And like, that's a really big focus. And you'll, you know, you'll recognize those skis on everybody, like, you know, throwing triple course in a slope style run. Um, so what he was saying is like, let's, why don't we try to go for something that, is a little more surprising and a little less mainstream than what you had in mind. Because again, like, yeah, people have seen that photo of the podium and everybody's holding up vocal skis and yeah, great. Um, you've already got your marketing out of that. So let's like, why would you use us to push that even further and probably just get some people responding negatively to it? Because it's like, well, yeah, this just reeks of branded content, like poorly thought of by, uh, branded content. So what Twig suggested is, why don't we write about what our audience doesn't necessarily see, um, you know, on the surface of vocal skis. So because like vocal also supports some really cool film projects, and that's something that we could have that we we suggested we could highlight. So for example, Ahmed Dadali had a film coming out that year. Jeremy Pancras was working on a on like a feature film with a bunch of different skiers also supported by vocal. Um, there, there were a few other, I think like, uh, yeah, Tom Rich had something going on. And so like th those were all athletes that our community loves to watch and respects and um, putting, telling that story was a lot more meaningful in our mind than, you know, repeating what just happened at, at the Olympics that again, like everybody saw, not only the, the New Scores community, but just everybody in the world saw. So um, they ended up going for it. They said, okay, fine, let's, let's, let's give this a try. And we got some really good responses out of it. It was a very engaging piece that did well on the website and also on all the social channels when we pushed it out. Mm -hmm. And that's great that, that Vocal gets it. You know? They listen to you guys and they, and they know that the value of a sponsorship is taking all the qualities of new scores, positive and, and negative, and, and attributing them to their own company. And so they just, that's like excellent use of sponsorship. Are there some companies that go in just looking for straight conversion? They say, all right, we don't really care about identifying with your brand. We just want to see our names on your site. And that leads to sales. Like, are there, are there some companies that are just looking for straight conversion or are most of them looking for that? You know, Oh, we, we were part of the new scholars community. Yes, there are some. Uh, and, you know, as much as possible, we kind of try to steer away from it just because it's not as valuable to our audience as something that's a little more thought out and that goes a little bit deeper than just trying to convert sales. Uh, but it's just, you know, it's kind of the nature of how things go. And, you know, brands and companies want to make sales, obviously. And, you know, if they have a straight up message that they need to put out and we just need to copy paste with some images and, um, and they're happy with that and they can see some sales on uh, some sales returns on their end, then perfect. You know, we'll, we'll do it. 
Um, but you know, we'll do it within reason, and you know, as long as we're not pushing something we shouldn't be pushing, right? Like, but you know, for example, like the Icon Pass, we've got a pretty straightforward deal with them, and it's like you know, they'll we'll post some articles that they write sometimes, and it's articles that straight just you know. A to B, right? It just promotes the icon pass and here's a link to buy, right? And it's it's not great content to be completely honest, but it's uh, it's straightforward and it's uh, you know almost like it's, it's no BS and it's just all right. If you're interested in buying the icon pass, click through. You can read the article, click through to their link and and buy it. Um, but yeah, it's just like it's not as involved as us actually working with the client and building out a story that's going to resonate. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a, of all the, of all the straight conversions, that's probably the most palatable for the new schoolers community. Like, Hey, we get it. Like somebody, you got to buy passes. Here's a straight advertisement for it. So what are some examples of campaigns? And I know we talked last week about an industry that you've turned down, but like, what are some examples of either campaigns or industries that, that you've rejected whether because you don't agree with what they're promoting or because you want to rework the strategy? Like, have, has there been ones where they approach you and you say, we'll work with you, but not in that way? And then you could also talk about the other one if you, the one that you flat out rejected if you'd like to. Sure. I mean, like, there's there's some examples. Or there's some times where it's like, you know, they'll, they'll come to us and say, like, hey, you know, we, we'd like to put some money in behind, like, promoting this video. And it's like, okay, it's a funny video, but it's got nothing to do with skiing. So why are you asking us to promote that? And like, I'll tell them straight up, it's like, I, I'd rather not even, if you know, it forfeits the money, it's just like, look, come back to me when you have some assets that are relatable to us. Because like, you know, for example, it's like, I'm all playing, it was like, a, the asset was like somebody, I'm not, I'm not going to go into too much detail about what the product was, but it's like it was somebody eating like meatballs and pasta. And it's like, well, like, yeah, your product is in the video. And <laughs> like, you know, if we post this, like people will see your product, but it's going to damage our brand. And, like, and potentially theirs. Yeah, it's it, and potentially theirs too. It's just, it, it makes no sense for this to, to appear on new schoolers. And again, like I said before, right? It's like, you know, we'll, we'll have some, some Instagram posts where there's, there's, there's no way of hiding behind it. It's a branded post and some people will hate on it. And that's kind of part of it. It's too bad, but whatever. But at least it has to do with skiing, right? And, and that's, that's where we're that's uh, that's mostly where we draw the line is where like you know the the assets and what we're promoting it has to do at least with um with the sport and so you know to, to go back to you know other <laughs> industries that we flat out rejected um and we spoke a little bit about it last week but here i'll, I'll go into it again but like we we had we got approached by a nicotine company um, or a nicotine pouch company in the past year. And it was pretty tempting to accept because it's a lot of money in a, in a year where it was very tough to generate revenue because of the pandemic. Um, and I was, I was originally like considering it pretty seriously. And I, I, the thing was going to be like, 
uh, a branded content series of uh, video projects where it's like we would have to work with some influencers in the ski world to you know, basically make some ski video, get paid for it, and then like at some point include some uh, some nicotine pouch consumption. And it's like, okay, you know, like let's see if there's somebody who's down to do it. And then like we, I, I spoke to one producer in particular, and like he'll know who he is, but I I'm not gonna name him. But he he was the one who ended up saying like, hey, I don't want to be a part of this. And it, it got me thinking like, well, you know what? you're right. <laughs> Why do I want to be a part of this? Like, yeah, sure. Like the money looks really appealing, but I think as a media, we have a responsibility that, that means like we, there, there, there's certain lines that we can't cross and like promoting nicotine to an audience that potentially a lot of kids are going to see is, is no good. And we, I'd rather steer away from that. Mm-hmm. And so that's just evidence right there that David is not only in it for the money. He actually, you actually do care about the the heart and soul of of new schoolers, and it's not just all about the all about the branding. And while you were talking about, you know, um, like sh- just flat out advertisements on the, on the Instagram, I'm just scrolling through, and it takes a couple scrolls before you see like a just a straight logo of something. Like I'm looking at this Pacifico, but it's part of a contest. So I think that you guys do a, a very nice job of of intricately weaving in advertisements without people noticing that they're advertisements. Thanks. I mean, well, you know, in, in the case of this Pacifico thing, it's like, yeah, it's like pretty obnoxious, like very big branding. And you basically think you're looking at a, a you know, a web banner, right? Uh, but it's an incentive because you can win a trip to Vail. So, you know, it's, it's like some people will hate on it because they, they're not seeing some fresh skiing content, but you know, we also got a lot of signups for that contest. So there's a bit of a balance. Totally. Um, and so what you brought up earlier, I think is, it, it was an interesting way of describing it. So right now, Instagram is viewed as an arm of newschoolers.com. But when do you think, the sh- when do you think, if ever, the shift will happen that newschoolers.com is just a branch of the Instagram? Because it seems like, it's tipping towards that that new schoolers. The Instagram page is almost bigger than the um, than the website itself. <laughs> it's um, it's an interesting question because you know maybe that shift's already happened and we just refuse to accept it. Um, it honestly would be. <laughs> such an easier business to operate without the website because it's such a complicated website that, you know, it, it takes a lot of maintenance and you know, we, we need a web developer on staff who can continue to uh, keep the website alive. But, you know, the, the thing is, you know, it, it's a good point because like a lot of people see us as an Instagram account rather than a community, especially the people who, didn't grow up with new schoolers and the people who are discovering new schoolers for the first time, you know, say in the past three, four years. Um, now is, when is this shift supposed to happen? I don't know, man, maybe it's already happened. Um, maybe people get burned out of social media and short clips and want to revert back to, uh, longer form edits. 
you know, in which case maybe there, there could be a shift back to news tours and at which point I hope we'll be ready with good enough technology that um, it'll be appealing enough for people to stay. Uh, it's, it's a tough one, man. Um, we, we actually, we fought be, being completely dependent on social channels for a long time. And we ended up kind of giving up on that in, because it was just like, well, you know, we're just going to become less and less relevant if we don't develop these channels properly. So, you know, when I said, you know, Instagram is an arm for, for newscores.com, I almost meant it more for it's a distribution tool for our branded content that lives on the website first and foremost, because we can have like our longer form content there. And so it's like, you know, that that's, it's always it's very often the the objective of doing a social post is getting people to the website and driving traffic to the website and seeing the longer form content. And then it's like the what we'll put up on social is more of a snippet of what you can see, of like the full picture that you can see on the website or on the app. Yeah. The first the first bag is free, basically. Like you, you tempt people with the Instagram post and then hopefully it's a pipeline to the long form, the threads, Everybody talking. And the app are free as well. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, clicks are expensive, I guess. You know? Yeah. <laughs> People don't just click on anything anymore. Yeah. So do you think that, um, and this is something that we started talking about last time, and maybe we could expand on, like, who, who's the driver of the, of the new school culture? Like, I think that it's definitely... Oh, I don't know. Maybe like this, you can kind of give your perspective on this. I personally think that it's the website is where the culture is driven and that everything else permeates from that. Like it, the, it's a kind of like symbi- symbiotic, like the website drives the culture, but it also reflects it. Do you think that's the case? Or do you think that there's, you know, like the Instagram's driving more of what the trends are? Like what trends are, where are the trends being driven? Yeah, that's it's an interesting question. And what like my perspective is that there's not a single there's not a single driver for the culture right now i think you know as the the operators of the website we try to reflect the culture as much as possible and and adapt to where it's going i think we drive a little bit of it for a certain group of of skiers or a segment of skiers but I also think that there's a lot that happens on these social channels and on YouTube that, you know, that are, that don't stem from the website. And I, you know, I think we stand for something that's niche and something that's, you know, that's, it's got, that's got a, a significant amount of following, but we're not the only ones, uh, especially, you know, thinking about new school culture, like there's, there's a lot of athletes that are around, like is ta- just looking at the competition scene and these athletes that have their own big following just from having been on the competition circuit and winning medals who, you know, for some of them, like, you know, they have more Instagram followers than Newscores does. Andrea Regetli as an example, right? And, um, you know, we'll, we'll cover at what athletes like him do, um, just like we cover, you know, who every competition that happens, um, you know, on the world circuit and at X games and due tour. But, you know, I don't think you can eliminate people like him as drivers of the culture, even though it's not the same, uh, the same direction that we're pushing the culture into. 
So again, like, you know, we, we try, I think we try to reflect what the culture, where the culture is going on the website. Um, but in terms of finding, you know, who's driving the culture, I think it's, it's a number of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said, you mentioned this during um, the discussion about COVID, but there's been a lot of people venturing into the backcountry. but backcountry skiing is very much not new school skiing. You know, like th- those are two distinct styles. But do you feel like the backcountry is starting to bleed into the website and like and that it's becoming part of the new school ski culture? Because, you know, people are still doing tricks in the backcountry, but it's not what it originally looked like. So what like what are some of these things that are kind of coming into the community that like that you're sensing and that like future trends to look out for? No, absolutely. Uh Touring equipment is the fastest, fastest growing category on the, on, well, with our audience, really. Uh, so not only for the content that we cover, I, I don't know if you've been like keeping up with what we've been posting as content this season, but like we, we onboarded one of our, we, we onboarded a contributor last season that we brought back on board this past season, Cy Whitling. And he's a, he's an illustrator, but he's also a writer. He's been doing some really original content that we've never really had the privilege of having on New Schools in the past, which is really refreshing to have. Um, but he writes a lot about touring and getting out in the backcountry and being safe about it. And that's the kind of thing that, you know, maybe you look 10 years back and people would be like, well, why the hell is this on New Schools, right? Uh, yeah. But again, like the, sh- the culture is shifting and people are getting more interested in touring. I think I've been touring more days than I've been skiing at the resort this year, personally. Yeah, I, I think I, th- I think people getting into the backcountry is just, it's like a natural progression of the sport that, um, you know, the, our audience is also getting into, especially with COVID that's been accelerating that. Um, and especially with resorts having shut down last season, as early as mid-March when like some seasons, you know, seasons at some resorts go on until, you know, even June. Um, so there was still a bunch of snow to ski. People weren't allowed to go up, um, go up chairlifts. And so they bought themselves, you know, either a pair of touring bindings or uh, some daymaker adapters that could just get them out there. Uh, and then, you know, allow you to build a booter and use your regular bindings for them. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm all for it. And, you know, we, we've actually, you know, with that and w- with covering more of that, we've actually started getting some more uh, interest from advertisers in that space, in the touring space, which has been interesting to see as well. Yeah, it is interesting because it feels like it's a, like a period of, of a lot of change going on in the ski industry specifically over the past couple of years. And I almost wonder if the decline in popularity of the forums is because skiing has spouted out so many tendrils and freestyle skiing is so different now. Like there's a whole, you know, people fo- love to follow the comp circuit people, you know, there's, there's a whole urban, there's a whole urban scene. There's still people ripping it in the park. There's people riding in the backcountry. Do you think that maybe like the farms are becoming less popular because each like niche of skiing is becoming more and more specific. So it's like, Oh, I could go hang out on new schoolers, but like those guys aren't really into the exact, like the very specific type of skiing that I like. You know, that's interesting. And, and um, something that I've thought of for a while is that uh, 
if you look at skiing and you compare it to snowboarding, for example, I find that snowboarders, and I hope this is politically correct, but uh, I, I find snowboarders to be a lot more homogenous, whereas skiers are just so segmented into different different facets of skiing, right? Like you can identify as a backcountry skier or you can identify as a resort touring, touring skier that does all mountain, or you can identify as a park skier or somebody who just skis powder on the epic powder days, uh, or, you can, or you can identify as a racer. And uh, I find like in, in snowboarding, you don't get as much of that where it's like, yeah, yeah, we're all part of snowboarding. We're all part of this like revolution that went away from skiing, for example. You know, there was a really, really big movement back in the 90s. And new schoolers kind of had that revolution feel, revolutionary feel when it first started and when we had twin tips. And it's like, you know, we're, we want to be the guys doing tricks like the snowboarders are doing, but we want to do it skiing. Whereas today, it's like new school skiing has almost integrated a bunch of all those other facets where it's like, you know, you can be an all mountain skier that butters everywhere and that also does 360s off little cliffs, or you can go touring with, uh, you know, you go touring, but you build a, you build a booter and then you, know, you go do tricks all day. So, um, yeah, I, I'd say, you know, I, I don't think that that's necessarily what's, uh, what's bringing the decline in engagement on the forums. I think that's got more to do with just the, you know, the trends of where people are having these conversations and it might be more on Facebook groups. It might just be more like people posting on Instagram. Um, now the forums are still active. They're not, but they're not what they used to be 10 years ago when it's like, you know, there's new replies every second for, you know, the top 15 threads. So, um, yeah, I think where where the conversation is happening is uh, is a big part of you know why you know you, you don't see the same that same action going on in the, in the forums, um, but really, uh, it's like factors beyond beyond skiing. It's like consumer preferences almost. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like general trends of how people use their mobile devices and how, how people use the internet. Um, and then, um, yeah, you know, going back to that, that question about ski culture and, and the different facets of skiing, you know, I just find that, you know, skiing is a very, se is a very segmented sport and it's, it's harder and harder to define what a new schooler skier is because it could mean a lot of different skiers. You know, it could be somebody who's, again, doing tricks off cliffs or buttering in powder or skiing park in urban all year. Mm -hmm. I mean, it really comes down to, obviously, it's a hard question to answer because it's like an identity thing. Like, it, you know, people struggle with that all the time. Who am I? And then you look at skiing, it's like, well, you look at new school skiing, it's like, well, who are we? Because you look at X Games Real Ski this year, and there's a lot of new school ski elements but they're not taking place in the park. And, you know, people actually get upset when they're taking place in the park. So, like, um, so you look at there's new school skiing in the backcountry and new school skiing in the streets and new school skiing in the park. So it is – you're right. It is like uh, – ah, it's, it, it, it's, it's really just a – it's a tough thing to pinpoint because it's so 
ethereal and it's just kind of all over the place. Um, and I saw this kind of just turning a corner here in the conversation. Um, I saw this reflected in your award show because you guys held, you guys had the best trick contest and I don't think any of the tricks took place on the same surface. You know, there's a best trick in the park, all, all within the same category. There's a, a best trick in the park, backcountry, um, streets, you know, so how do you guys, um, especially with the award show and we can kind of talk about how that came about, but like, how do you guys deal with awarding skiing when it's so hard to define what like new school skiing even stands for anymore? That best trick award is a really good example because I mean, you know, one of the tricks wasn't even, wasn't even really a trick. It was, it was like, it was Alex Hackle, or was it Paven? It was Paven's switch carve underneath a rail. Oh, that was Hackle. Yeah. Yeah. That was from his real ski. Yeah. 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 yeah, And it's like, well, how do you judge that against, um, you know, like the switch quad that Matei Svancer did in the park? And it's like, well, there's no, there's absolutely no way to, to compare this with a professional critical eye, right? Like there, it's just way too different. And so that, that was one of the awards that we had to leave to the community to vote on because uh, you try, you try to, <laughs> you try to uh, decide on that with judging criteria, impossible. So it's like for, for the award show, we had two different, we, we had two, uh, two categories, right? There was, there was the judging, there was the judged category of awards and the voted category of awards. And so like the best trick, best style, uh, and was it just best trick and best style? Like the, those are the two, like the, the only two that come to mind right now, but those two were judged because, and no, sorry, they were voted on because like there was no way that we could have asked the judges to vote to actually decide on that or the staff. Um, so yeah, so it was a pretty pretty important distinction between the two. So, you know, it ended up really being a popularity contest. And in the end, you know, Henrik won with a nose butter switch front flip or nose butter super cork 540, which was insane to watch live. I, I remember watching that live and like jumping out of my couch, like, holy shit, that was cool. But, but again, you know, like, does that, does it make sense to reward that as the trick of the year versus a switch quad was it 1980 no i don't think so but yeah or like or even looking at a trick in the street like who, who's to who's to say that a trick in a comp isn't harder than like busting your ass and like risking life and limb like on a street rail that like is not actually meant to be hit by skiers you know it's very hard to measure so i think that you guys made a good decision leaving that to the community so if anybody's upset it's like well blame your peers like who cares um, so my other, the other thing I wonder is how do you guys assemble a representative crew of skiers to do the actual judging for the judged contest? We handpicks, we handpick people that we think are going to be a good voice for the new scores community. So our, our judges this year for, for the awards were LJ Strenio, Alex Hackle, uh, Will Wesson, we had Twig. Twig, our editor, was one of the judges. He was our head judge to make sure that like, he, he also needed to manage the process. So he, he was kind of like by default a judge. Um, we had Katrina Siegfried, who was 
uh, well, who is a long-term, a long-time member of the Mies Wars community, uh, and who's also produced a lot of video over the years. Who else? I feel like Hackle, LJ, Will, Katrina, Twig. Yeah, I think that was it. Those five judges. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so how we select them is, yeah, we just handpick yeah. them. We, we just, we just decide. We like, <laughs> we, we see who's available, who's down to do it. But you know, like first of all, you know, we, we start with like a, a top selection of people that we know are going to have a good opinion. We, you know, for example, like LJ has judged X Games Real Street. Will has judged IF3. Hackle, you know, has a good eye as as an athlete, but also as a filmmaker. Um, Katrina, long term. A uh, member of the community has produced video and is opinionated just from what we know and have seen with her engagement on the site. Yeah, no shortage of people with strong opinions on on the website. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And so let's uh, let's let's shift this because I'm sure Twig will have a bunch of opinions on on the culture, and I don't want to get too caught up on that. So the circumstances of the the transition and ownership and you know the cuts because of covid kind of opened up some of these possibilities for you for you guys to innovate and do these new things so the two things that stick out to me are the new schoolers awards and the ski test um and so let's talk about like the awards first and how you know being affiliated with dutor through the parent company kind of helped you guys with that whole process so i don't know if you would like would like to start with like a history of the new schoolers awards and kind of how they first came up how the News Girls Awards first came up was totally random and just a giant strike of luck. So uh, we, we, we'd been thinking about doing an award show for some time, but we also knew that we, if ever we were to do it, we would have to basically put money out of our own pockets on the line in order to make it happen because the people that we talk to are not going to support an award show, such as, you know, think about, like, Armada skis, right? Like, why would Armada skis support an award show where they don't know they're, if they're going to win an award? And they you know, say like Lion and K two, end up having all the all the athletes that win awards, all right? So it's it's something that like also having worked on IF three awards in the past, I know that the endemic the endemic sponsors are not going to support it. So when when this first got brought up, it was summer of 2019. And they were moving Dutour from Breckenridge to Copper. So they had just like changed, uh, they, they had just changed their venue. They, had, they, now, they now had a three-year contract with Copper to do it there. And Copper could only do it or make it happen in February. And because they could only make it happen in February, Powder was not going to have Powder Awards at Dutour anymore. So Powder Awards was always held at Dutour, or had been held at Dutour for a number of years going, uh, you know, previous to that year. And, you know, because of that, Powder Awards were able to finance their award show by a lot of non-endemic sponsors, you know, like car companies, beer companies, alcohol companies, uh, maybe even insurance companies uh, for first yeah for a number of years and then now all of a sudden because the show because due tour is happening in february 
Powder no longer wants to do their show at the same time because it doesn't make sense for them to do an award show with, like, you know, that's re rewarding movies from the previous year that were produced the previous year, like, as late as February. It's just like, you know, it, it's two months too late, maybe even three months too late. So, uh, and, you know, and besides that, like, they, it's also a lot harder to get some film athletes to show up at, at your show and, and accept an award when you're in the middle of the season. They're probably filming in, you know, middle of nowhere in, in Alaska or Japan or wherever they are. So that being said, the C or the, the president of our group calls us up and said, hey, do you guys want to do an award show to replace Powder's show? Because we've got Toyota that's already committed to, uh, to an award show that powder was going to do and they're not going to do it and <laughs> you guys want you guys want to get subbed in it's like uh let us think about it and so and then you know like i get back to the team's like guys should we do an award show it's like oh we're just getting so much work blah 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 like all the reasons not to and it's like guys are you fucking kidding me like let's go <laughs> like we can do a new scores awards show we we have like like we we basically have confirmation that the you know the money's there all we need to do is make sure that it's a tight show and it looks cool and you know we're rewarding the right people and it's like it's really an epic opportunity for us and then like you know the crew got really riled up like all right let's do it let's do it and then like you know we got twig working on the script we got evan evan heath who was you know uh, gathering videos from all the all the producers um and making sure that you know we had all the assets in place and time for the show uh, we had project managers over at head office who were you know working it working it out with the venue and with uh just suppliers for the show and dude it all came together phenomenally and could not have asked for a better show for our, for our first year it was insane um so that, that was that first year at copper um you know like <laughs> last minute um so we had steve step who was hosting the show we were all like super excited about it but then last minute we got this insane snowstorm at copper or like everywhere in summit county like i think something something like 40 inches that fell overnight it was it was it was fucked like all of a sudden like all all, all the highways to get to copper are closed steve is stuck in vale we have to like get him a hotel overnight um like this is the day before the before the show he, he needs to stay at a hotel there because he couldn't make it out to copper turns out like two hours before the show he was able to make it out and like they, they opened the pass and then he made it and then it's like we did one super quick rehearsal and then that was it showtime and it went out it, it just went really well anyways I, we, we were <laughs> when we thought like steve was maybe not going to make it we started scrambling like okay well who's going to host the show and we're like all right Matt Kretschmar, you got this. <laughs> it's like he was getting ready to like, uh, you know, grab the mic and just like tell a few jokes and replace Steve last minute. But thankfully that didn't have to happen. Yeah, that's awesome. And then so, so that was 2019. Did, did you guys do one in 2020 at all? Uh, so, sorry, no. So that was February, 2020. Okay, okay. That was February, I might, I might have misremembered what you said, yeah. Yeah, so uh, summer 2019 is when we first heard about it. And it is like, it, this is summer 2019 telling us February 2020, you guys can do this show. And you've got Toyota's sponsorship already. 
so so that that left that left us enough time to put everything together and create all the video assets and get some judges together blah 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 um, and you know because it was a success they you know the, the parent company basically said like well look if you guys want this spot again we're doing due tour again in in february next year you can do you can make this a yearly thing like fuck yeah let's go. yeah absolutely we want to do this yearly every year you know um and then COVID hits and all of a sudden due tour has to cancel but we were still able you know, you know we were still able to retain some sponsorship from uh so for from the due tour deal so you know like toyota was still on board for for doing the show but we did everything virtually and so we we had a gun we we basically rented out a studio in winter park we had a producer out there we had uh our host connor smith who went out there to to host the show in front of a, a big green screen studio which was i mean honestly like the studio and the set was like really on point it was sick and like they, they had hosted some nhl events there before too like it was really professionally done but man was the show a disaster i don't know if you got a chance to see it i watched i watched it yeah <laughs> i wanted to punch the screen like 10 times at different points during the show I was like oh my god like the where we messed up is we decided to use this technology and and actually like you know us like messing up the recording on our last podcast really reminded me of that experience at the at the award show because you try a new technology on the fly it's probably going to fail and that that's what we did for the award show and it wasn't a new technology to our uh, producers but it was new to my team and it was new obviously to all the athletes that needed to join and accept accept an award and so, dude, athletes are really hard to track down in February. It's like if they're not on site at the event and you like you call them up to show up on stage, like if it's if it's not that easy and simple, like you're going to have a hard time. And like, you know, some of the athletes were, were okay, at, you know, jumping on, like, you know, like Taylor Lundquist, no problem. She even did a sound check before, um, before j- jumping on. But I think she was the only one, honestly. And then like everybody else was just like, all right, maybe it's going to work out. <laughs> maybe we're not going to hear a word they say or uh, or they're going to join two minutes before and they, like, they're not even going to be able to really jump on to, to the live stream. Like, we had a waiting room. Anyways, complicated stuff that in the end totally didn't work. So um, a little bit like what we're doing now when we're <laughs> reverting to Zoom to, uh, um, to make this interview happen. We should have just gone with Zoom, and that's probably what we what we would do next time, um, for for an award show if we were to do it virtual. Although, hopefully, we never have to do it virtual again. Yeah, that was uh, you know, Connor did, t- Connor did a good job of, of pushing through all those technical difficulties because it's just a lot of just sitting there waiting for you know like a FaceTime call to connect basically, or just a completely black screen. So. I, feel I was you. just waiting for Connor to lose his shit during the show. I was like, oh my God, thank you for being so professional about this because yeah, um, it, it, it could have gone either way. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it might just be skiing itself because we try to tie ourselves into art and new technology all the time, but I've had so many instances where, you know, I get a new camera. Like when the GoPro first came out, I couldn't like 
it like would die really quick. Or when I got a new camcorder, I had used many DV tapes and I didn't even know that when I was buying it. So there's been many times where skiing and technology have come together to really make things difficult. And it's still happening, as you mentioned, like even with last week. Um, so another side of, of what you guys were able to benefit from um, due to like the ownership structures, you guys were able to do a ski test that was formerly like real like powder used to have a corner on it, but you guys were able to do it this year. So you want to go into like some detail about the ski test and how you have a, like a busted elbow now and just the whole, the whole story. Yeah. So at the start of April, we hosted a ski test at sunshine village. Uh, it was in some very unusual circumstances and honestly it's a miracle that it all happened really well um honestly i couldn't have asked for any better we we first started talking about making this happen in late 2020 so like call it november december we're starting to think about it like okay so the main opportunity that we were looking at and tragic opportunity was powder stopping to you know basically discontinuing powder week because like like i told you before i've been to powder week two in the last for the last two editions at red mountain and being exposed to that just like totally inspired me to be like wow shit like you know this this is an incredible event that we should try to replicate for new scores but also because we were part of the same company as powder it was almost like a conflict of interest or or just this difficulty to pull the trigger on it when it's like there's already you know I'm already like selling one of these and we it's already there would be a lot there would be some significant overlap between the powder test and the new scores test like you know we're, we're not we're not talking to the same audience and we're not necessarily we're not always testing out the same skis but there you know there are there is some overlap like if you're talking to for example J skis or armada you know they're they're they would probably send some similar skis from to one test and to the other so for example like you know the j skis vacation made it to the new scores test it was also at the powder week for armada like they sent us the stranger for for new schoolers i feel like they might have had the stranger for powder week also anyway so like you know there was some significant overlap and enough basically enough reasons not to pull the trigger while powder week was still happening and then when powder week got officially canceled we figured okay so what would it really take for us to make this happen because all of a sudden there's this gap in the industry where it's like there's one ski test that's been removed that's a gap in marketing budgets for a lot of brands although you know we also had to balance it out with the fact that most marketing budgets are slashed because of the pandemic. So, you know, it was definitely a risk going into it. But what, what we realized is, you know, the main thing that we needed to lock down was a valuable resort partner. And Sunshine Village stepped up and just basically said, as long as the government allows us to do this and, you know, that there's nothing illegal and no like giant red flags with the process, and that you guys are going to collaborate in terms of making this a safe event for you know not to not like produce an outbreak then we're all good and you know they like supplied us with some lodging some food for the whole week 
they, they helped us out with receiving shipments and sh shipping skis back to brands. Like, you know, it, they, they were a huge part in making this happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if we mentioned this, but this was in Alberta, Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sunshine village in Alberta, Canada. So like, that was another thing is like, you know, for, for a lot of these brands, it would have been easier to ship skis to the U S and for us to do a test in the U S but we opted to try something out in Canada just because it was, it was the safest option for us to be able to actually handle it and make it happen because we have a, we have an office here in Canada. So to be able to travel to Alberta is a lot simpler than going to, you know, Colorado or Utah. Um, and then, you know, we would have been able to do it in hindsight, but who knows what would have happened. And also, you know, it, traveling to anywhere other than Canada means that when you come back, you need to quarantine for a minimum 14 days. Um, once you come back. So like it's, pretty significant commitment um but you know that being said so we we did it in canada did it at sunshine village turns out it was an insanely good week to do it at to do it um we had a mix of bluebird days for shooting some park um and we had and then the rest of it was all just powder days so we got really lucky um and yeah yeah so Leading up to this, so you know, aside from this just being like a sick week, um, you know, leading up to it, part of the work, you know, a big part of the work was Peter and I just hitting up the brands like, hey, do you guys want to be a part of this test? Like, you know, we, before even deciding that we were going to do it, we we sent out some some uh, some emails just feeling out the pulse for people, you know, people's interest in this, and you know, most of the feedback that we got was positive. And it's like, yeah, if you guys do something, we would love to be a part of it. As long as, we, you know, <laughs> as, as long as the world permits and like, and, and that COVID doesn't just shut our company down or slash our entire marketing budget. So the interest was there. Um, so we, we ended up just taking the gamble and saying, all right, Sunshine, we're, we're in and we're going to start, start selling these packages. And then you know, we started hitting up brands and then we started getting some signed contracts I'm like okay i guess this is probably happening um and then next thing you know yeah we had 15 brands signed up 28 pairs of skis that we were testing throughout the week and so what what did the uh, what did the testing look like like what, what sort of criteria and, and tests are you actually uh, measuring so we we had two different types of skis, right? We had park skis and we had all mountain freestyle skis. All of them are sort of, we're, we're, we were sort of, we were evaluating them mostly on the same criteria, just being part of different categories. So the criteria that we had, you know, there was, there was stability, stability meaning, you know, both stability at high speeds going through choppy snow, stability when you're, landing a jump, landing from a rail, landing switch. Um, so that, that's like overall stability, what, what you'll see um, when we're reviewing skis. Uh, playfulness and flex. So how, how easy are they to butter, to you know, nose press, tail press, uh, and just like ski differently. We had performance on soft snow, so whether it's powder or slush, and then performance on hard snow. So ripping through groomers or on ice. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, we didn't have any ice at, at Sunshine just because we had such good conditions. But, you know, we, we had some you know, really good groomers that we could uh, just 
practice carving at and, and getting some shots of doing that. Uh, but yeah, in, in terms of what the testing actually looked like, we had three different sessions per day. So we had a morning session and then two afternoon sessions. Morning session, so say like, you know, testers take a pair of skis in the morning. We're going to be shredding that until lunchtime. Uh, we would separate out into two groups because we had two different filmers. And so each filmer was responsible for getting shots of, you know, their group of three or four testers uh, you know, throughout that morning or afternoon. And then uh, skiers had to basically try out those skis on as fair of a playing playing field, you know, as compared to a, to other skis as possible. So, you know, the na the nature of doing a ski test is you're not always going to have the same conditions for each ski. Um, but you know, as much as possible, we try to sort of leave that behind. And uh, you know, when we're asking testers for their feedback, it's like, okay, so you know, you tried this you try this park ski on a pow day, for example, it's like, okay, well, how, how did you feel the swing weight? And, you know, like when we're out, out on the mountains, like, okay, if, if you're going to hit this cliff into pow, like, you know, try, try doing a shifty and get a feel for the swing weight and, and how we, how we would feel spinning on a jump or out of a rail, you know, like some of it isn't perfect, obviously, uh, but as much as possible, we try to test skis for their intended use. So, you know, park skis will take to the park as much as possible. They'll all, you know, park skis are also typically pretty good for all mountain as well. So, you know, we kind of take them all over the mountain. Um, so, yeah, you know, it, it wasn't a super structured format, which allowed us to ski a bunch of different stuff for each ski, which was really cool too. It, it, which also made this test very unique, I would say, as opposed to the other tests that are going on. Mm-hmm. And are there, any, are there any concerns with advertisers, you know, because these companies that are selling skis are like bound to try to advertise with new schoolers. Do you have any fears that, uh, you know, you rank one ski higher, higher over the other, that, that down the line that that would bite you in the ass and they'll be like, hey, like you gave us kind of a bad review on the ski test. Why would we want to give you money to advertise on the site? So, um, you know, the, like part of this is just, you know, it, it's part of being in a ski test, right? Like you're, you're exposing yourself to whatever opinions you're going to get from the testers that are trying out the skis. But the reality is that also there's, at least in my experience and with the skis that we tried out, like there's no, I don't think there's really such a thing as a bad ski, but it's finding who's the target, who's the right person for a certain ski. And that, that's, that's the other question that we ask our testers is like, Okay, so suppose you didn't like this ski. Why didn't you like the ski? Oh, I don't know. It was too stiff or, or it was too soft. It's like, okay, so say, say the ski is too soft. So um, you prefer a stiffer ski. Who would, who would like a ski that's soft like this? Like, oh, well, you know, probably somebody who likes buttering and, uh, you know, doing some flat ground tricks and get, getting really playful, whether it's in the park or mini park or just, you know, having fun all over the mountain when there's no jumps or whatever. So um, it, it's trying to open your mind up to, again, like who is the right consumer for this ski? And that, that's, try, that's what we try to find out with the ski test. And then, you know, at the end of it, like we, we do give awards to the skis that our testers preferred. Uh, we're gonna be deciding on that probably in the next couple of weeks. 
we, we already got all the, all like the numbers and the feedbacks from, from our, from our testers. Now it's just like compiling everything, all the data and, um, you know, the quantitative and the qualitative information that we got out of that. And then coming up with, I think we're going to have like between anywhere between 10 and 15 awards to give out to, uh, to our top skis. Um, so yeah, that should be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Awesome. Um, and so how did you bust up your elbow? Cause you are in rough shape right now or <laughs> improved, con- improved condition from last week, but still, uh, your arm is like a whole, it's like a tie dye right now. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a colorful arm. Uh, so I, luckily this was on the last day of the test. So it, it was on the Friday of the test. Uh, so basically my job was done by that time. However, I would, this was also going into my vacation with my girlfriend. She was joining me in Alberta so we could spend another week skiing out there. Um, so, you know, that, that was the first thing going through my mind when I hurt myself. I was like, you goddamn idiot. Like, you know, what, what am I going to do for this vacation? Like, you know, what, what if I need surgery? And all of a sudden, like, you know, I can't ski and I just got to go back to Montreal and we just canceled this whole trip and and our reservations and then, you know, like all, all the days off that my girlfriend took out for, <laughs> for this vacation. So I was like freaking out. Um, turns out there was no fracture. It was just a dislocation. So I was fine. And they just put it back in place, put me in a splint, uh, wrapped it up, gave me, did <laughs> you basically told me like, take, take some anti-inflammatories and painkillers rest, and then you get it taken off when you get back to Montreal. And I asked, like, well, could I go skiing if I just, like, take it easy on groomers and, uh, you know, totally minimize any, any like, rumbling or impact? I was like, no, do not go skiing. Like, absolutely not. So, like, okay. So I took it easy for the next, like, two, three days, stuck stuck at home. My girlfriend went out uh, skiing because we actually got some really good snow at, at Sunshine for those um, those few days right after my injury. But then after that, like come the third or fourth, third or fourth day, I just went back up the mountain with her and skied in the sling and tied tied up my uh, uh, my sleeve, my right sleeve, to just like in a knot so that people know that like that's not an arm. So like you just don't don't run into me because I'm injured. And it was totally fine. Like I I stuck to some groomers in the first few days, and by the end, like going to Lake Louise, I was skiing the back bowls and skiing in moguls and shit. Like all right, it was fine one pole and um i was just like super lucky to be able to still enjoy my ski vacation after that injury but the way that it happened so basically i was, I was testing out one of the park skis and we, we were just having such a good day and people were getting stoked and the hype was up and so i got totally carried away and just wanted to throw a nice cork seven at the bottom on, on one of the one of the jumps and filmers filmers were there so like this whole thing is totally on video um, but yeah, like the, the way, the way that it happened, I believe is I got caught up in the wind either midair or just before the takeoff because it was a really windy day. It was a nice day, but it, it was windy in the park and it was windy the wrong direction. And I went for a cork seven, lacked speed, landed on the flat. And then, yeah, my arm just went sideways, like I, I, I couldn't tell how it happened when it when it happened. And so like when I was explaining it to the doctor, I actually didn't explain it properly. But now having seen the video on, on repeat, it was like, okay, no, it, 
the arm went backwards. So, so it's like my my arm landed straight, and I, you guys can't hear if you're if you're just listening. But basically, like yeah, it just went backwards on my elbow, and you can kind of see it on the video. It's fucking gross. Have you posted that yet? <laughs> I have not. I don't know if I will. I think you got. I, it. I might. I might put together a little edit of just, just like the good shots I got, and I, I did get some good bails. Like I got beat up that week too, just in general. I I got some good bails on video too that didn't get me injured. Um, but honestly, it's just it's just a little traumatic to see my arm go the wrong way, man. Like, I don't know. I think the Doctor Zorko backwards elbow might have to make an appearance. That's that's some pretty <laughs> crazy content right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Uh, I'll think about it. Oh, yeah, definitely uh, consider it. I mean, especially, like, with your reaction, too. I'm sure there was plenty of uh, yelling and screaming with that sort of uh, traumatic injury. No yelling and screaming. It was, well, at least not on the video. On the video, I'm just, like, holding my arm and just I just, like, start curling up. And yeah. I ju- it just brings me back to a really sad place when I, I, I knew I just fucked up my vacation with my girlfriend and it's like oh my god you idiot yeah so um you know this is something that we've kind of glossed over because it's, it's interesting when we first talked um i didn't know you and now i in coming into this one i feel like i knew you more but let's let's go over um your history of how you got to new schoolers and then we could kind of after that dive into your experience with if3 a little bit before we uh before we depart so yeah you just want to give like a background on like where you where you grew up uh where you were riding where you went to school all that yeah so born and raised in montreal i started skiing at four years old my parents took us out uh, took the family out to jay peak on every weekend so i grew up skiing jay i was part of the racing program going up and i i did i wasn't a huge fan of racing. Like, I, I, I liked it for the social part of it. I, I, I made some really good friends in the ski program, in the racing program, but like the competitions themselves, I wasn't that fond of. Um, but come 14 years old, I started getting more into park skiing and, and I fell in love with it and it became a passion. And well, it, like, I, I quit racing uh i started just yeah just doing park trying to learn new tricks started to film some stuff uh started skiing with more friends that were into freestyle freestyle skiing and snowboarding um and at a certain point i decided that i wanted this to also follow up in my career and i wanted to work in the industry so getting into university i I started thinking about moves that I could do to position myself so that when I graduate, I could start working in the industry. And one of the key things that I ended up doing was joining a committee that organizes sports marketing conferences. So I I went to John Molson School of Business at Concordia University in Montreal, and I was part of the John Molson Sports Marketing Committee. And when I joined that committee, my, my responsibility or like my mandate was to put together an action sports panel. So to put together a panel of four speakers and one moderator that were going to talk about the action sports industry. And luckily in Montreal, we actually had a pretty decent uh, 
network of people, like good enough network of people that I could find some locals to come talk at this conference um, pretty easily. So uh, the speaker panel that I ended up uh, gathering was, so I had Seb Toots, Sebastien Toutain, the snowboarder, who's now an Olympic medalist as well. We had Alex Langevin, who was the uh, marketing director for Oakley Canada at the time. We had Brendan O'Dowd, who was one of the founders and uh, operators of the Shakedown, which is a big snowboarding competition that used to happen at Saint-Sauveur in Quebec. Then we had Félix Rioux, who was the president of IF3 at the time. And then I got Doug Bishop on board as our moderator for the panel. And that was, the, that was my first time meeting Doug. And that panel went really well and we got some really good feedback. And it was something so different from what people who attend this conference were used to because traditionally it's a conference that's a lot more focused on hockey, baseball, basketball, team sports, right? Team and mainstream sports. So to bring something completely different that talks about action sports was really interesting, especially with, you know, at the time, it's like uh, skiing was making its way into the Olympics for the first time. This conference happened, this first conference that I organized happened in 2013, and then we were going to have the Sochi Olympics in 2014. So it was like super relevant at the time. Um, and yeah, so coming out of that, Felix from IF3 offered me an internship an internship that ended up uh, growing into a full-time role once I finished university, which was really cool. Uh, so that was basically my start to the, the start to my career in the ski industry. And what was insane for me at the time and what, uh, what was like a, a springboard to my career was just having access to that network that Felix had already been developing over the years from just being part of the industry, being a photographer, uh, being a marketing manager for Solomon. Like he, he had, he, he was coming in with so much experience and so much knowledge in the industry and so many contacts that um, myself getting into this internship and this internship was based on a sales role. It was like a sales and marketing internship. Um, so all of a sudden, like, I need to start pitching sponsorship to brands to, to jump on board with IF3. And uh, for, for a lot of these first ones for, like, the, like important renewals, like, you know, K2 Canada or whatever, uh, you know, Felix would, would join in on the calls. And so, I, you know, I would learn a lot about just how, how his sales process went. But also, like, he didn't really like doing sales. So that gave me an opportunity to really develop my own skills and and style like selling style and whatever uh, in this role while also developing a network very early on in some you know pretty high uh highly established uh you know workers in the industry in some important brands so really like um one of the biggest sort of uh one of the biggest advantages of having worked with IF3 and getting in there so early in my career, it really just allowed me to develop a network that ended up being really, really useful and really, uh, really valuable in the long term for my whole career. 
So you know, it was just like accessing like every everybody that Felix already knew in the industry and like you know the thing is like when I when I joined this I was like totally sold on the concept I was like like I have three like I I I felt like a lifer for for this company um, and 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 I, I had a lot of fun doing it too like it was a really fun project to work on and so I really took it to heart and so. You know, when we started seeing some, you know, like some struggles with the festival and, uh, you know, like seeing where the industry is going and where like, you know, people are starting start to slow down on making movies and, you know, they're taking two years instead of one year to, to make a movie project or they're just full on stopping. And then, you know, the challenges of selling movie tickets becoming more and more apparent it was, it was scary. It was, it was sad. It was almost a little depressing. And, um, you know, I think in the end, um, you know, you, you've already interviewed Luke, who's now running IF3 and he's, he's taken IF3 to different, uh, different avenues. Right. And, and I think that was totally needed, um, for the festival, right? Like, you know, the way that Felix and I used to run IF3 was completely different than what is than what it is today, and there's a, there's a reason for that. It's just like the the market wasn't um, wasn't uh, wasn't supporting or like the industry wasn't supporting what we were doing enough anymore. And not not only was the industry not supporting it, but like the the market wasn't as present as it used to be for movie premieres just because and and i think you can tr attribute a lot of that to social media and how every, all the content is so available throughout the the season so um so you know so that being said like you know i, I worked at if3 for call it three years um and then i got approached by doug bishop and travis towsley at new schoolers um, at a at a transition period where like you know we had put put a hold on on the IF three festival in Montreal, and so you know I, I I did have some free time and they approached me about doing some part time work with them, I accepted and started doing some sales for them. And it was it, it was a cool it was a cool sort of change of uh, change of pace you know like still a small team still working in in the ski industry and then I realized like oh my god like a lot of these contacts that I'm working with at new schoolers you know it's like the same people I used to work with at, at IF3 uh, so like there was so much overlap with what I used to do and my my network that I already had that was uh, you know pretty established at the time and then at one point Travis Travis who was my supervisor doing sales at new schoolers decided to move on he uh, was maybe burnt out on on the project wanted to do something new he quit and and then like all of a sudden i needed to make a choice between okay like do i want to fully commit to this new scores thing take over uh travis's role or do i want to keep doing what i'm doing like doing some part-time work for new schoolers and you know still wishy-washy doing some stuff with if3 and then, you know, letting Doug hire somebody else in Travis's role. Um, at which point I decided to go full on into the New Schools project. And from then on, I became the associate general manager under Doug for New Schools. I was basically handling all the sales. Doug was uh, in charge of managing the team and the journalists and, and development. And then after that, 
he like you know after a certain amount of years of doing bad doug started to train me to take on a full-on as general manager showing me how to manage developers uh the journalist pro journalist team um basically everything accounting managing pnls and <laughs> interacting with with the, the parent company and blah 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 so uh, it was a long learning process, longer than I thought it was going to be, but um, what a ride. Yeah. And so what year was that that you, that you officially took on the title of uh, GM? I think it was early 2019 because oh. so early, yeah, February 2019. Is that? Yeah, February 2019. We went through a big transition that I actually didn't talk about earlier in this conversation, but uh, the Enthusiast Network, which was the previous owner to New Schoolers, owner of New Schoolers, sold the Adventure Sports Network to American Media Incorporated. And when they did that, they fired half the company. And they did it at a time where it's like all of the sales rep for the, for the winter sports brands were out at uh, were, were out in Colorado at the uh, outdoor retailer outdoor retailer uh, trade show, and so everybody was out there selling and meeting the clients, and then all of a sudden everybody gets called back to California for a general meeting, and they're not telling anybody anything, <laughs> so. From one day to the next, it's just the new schoolers team. And I think like, you know, one or two other staff that decided to rebel and just stay in Cal stay in Colorado and not go back to California. Um, but, you know, then they, they just announced 50 people out of the 99 people that were that were hired or that worked at the company. Um, so 50 people got fired out of all those people. And the next thing you know, yeah, we're half the company we used to be with all the same titles and all the same expected revenue goals. Um, so, you know, all these brands were running on a shoestring. Now, somehow new schoolers, no, sorry, new schoolers got, got like a cut out of that. And then that's when, you know, when, when we got that budget cut, that's when Doug basically said like, all right, so I'm going to move on and do what I've been building for the past few years full time and you're going to take over new schoolers. And it's like, all right, that's what we've been training for. And it's like, you know, it, it was like a miracle with the timing that like all of a sudden, like his, his new business venture was really taking off at the time. And so he was, he was finally to the point where he was able to sustain himself without needing to be, you know, running new scores on the, at the same time. So all of a sudden, like he, he was, he just got totally, um, erased from new scores operations he would just meet with me once a week to consult me or for me to, to be able to ask questions i just basically had to like write down questions throughout the week that, that i needed answered as long as there was nothing urgent um and then it's like yeah every friday we'd meet for a beer or a cocktail and talk about new scores for a half hour and then that was it and then that was like his involvement from that from that point on um that's awesome and that brings us to today more or less. Um, and so th this is something we talked about, um, I think, after post-show of the Lost episode. So something people wouldn't have heard, period. Um, so what was like the – because you were involved with IF3 at the peak of IF3. 
So what were what was that environment like with the parties and like with all these huge stars coming out in full force? Like what was what was the scene like for those those early days of IF three? So I can't say I was really involved at the peak of IF three, but I, I think I was still like, you know, around you know, like twenty fourteen was still one of those top years I would say. Oh. So the party scene. What was interesting is like we would get a lot. You know, obviously, we're getting we're getting athletes and producers and photographers, industry people traveling to Montreal to celebrate this ski festival. And Montreal is well known for the party scene, and we would always throw two to three parties throughout that weekend. So we had like a launch party, and then like theme parties for the like Friday and Saturday. Um, Friday and Saturday parties, and uh, it was it was always like I could all you could almost argue that that was the biggest driver for like eighteen plus attendees, so like the eighteen year olds and over, especially the ones coming out of Vermont, like the the guy or like the you know the the skiers from or from like University of Vermont that are like between eighteen and twenty years old. Who can't really, who can't legally party in their hometown, but they come to Montreal and like they can let loose and go out drinking at, at bars and stuff. So that was like a really big driver for it. We actually meant, we actually managed to um, to get a school bus filled up from Uni- University of of Vermont coming to Montreal for, uh, uh, for for that one year. So that was really sick. So my question for you, and I asked this for Luke, but he's kind of uh, post this era of like the true insanity. Um, what was it like dealing with the venues when you're approaching them saying, hey, like we want to bring all these kids who uh, really have no like legitimate party experience, like in a controlled setting, you know, just besides house parties and like other crazy crap. So you're bringing a bunch of maniacs there and then you're also going to bring like a bunch of skiers who are also like on their own pretty nuts. So who like who are you approaching? How are you approaching them? And uh, what sort of relationships are you forming with these venues year after year? Yeah. So the venue selection was very important because it almost needs to be an, indes- an indestructible venue. <laughs> the, yeah. So that that year, twenty fourteen, my first year hosting the festival, we we did the award show at a pretty fancy place in the old port of Montreal. It was like, the, it was, it's, the place is called the Phi Center. They do art exhi- art exhibits. Um, they're, they're like well known as a cultural driver in Montreal. And for some reason, like they were, they were interested in hosting our award show because, you know, it's cultural and, um, you know, like showing the, the best and nicest, ski films in the world from the past season you know it was something appealing to them conceptually but what they didn't realize is that the industry people are probably the most destructive ones <laughs> just that first night where we had the award show and the launch party i mean like our our, our, our attendees destroyed a urinal like like who does that you know <laughs> so like destroyed a urinal you know, people like spitting on the walls like put, putting stickers everywhere and so you know, at the end of it like the place was a total mess and you know like there's the kind of place that said okay well you guys are never welcome back here you know 
like thanks for coming but here here's your invoice for here's your yeah here's the here's the invoice for the urinal repair and please never come back whereas you know some other venues like les fofons électriques i don't know if that rings a bell if you've ever ever been partying there but that place fits the description perfectly it's indestructible it's got a pretty good capacity it's got a it's got a stage for like for a rock show we had a we had a rocker party there where we had a cover band playing like a bunch of 90s and 2000s classics it was really sick um so you know that's the kind of place that we really enjoyed working with um mainly because of uh, just how how the place is built which was basically stainless steel everywhere <laughs> yeah so what who um who's your usual tenant is it like concerts or is it like a club like what what's this venue like so the, their typical customers are probably and I, and this is like totally stereotypical because it's not a place that I go to very often i don't even think i've been since that party but uh i would almost say it's like 50 plus who day drink okay you know or like you know yeah. those are the people you'll see during the day and then at night it's like metalheads who like cheap beer and watching rock shows you know so, so it's you know, just the perfect it, scene it's for not you it's not like it's not like a skier bar or anything it's not like a an opera bar with a bunch of rich rich people hanging out it's <laughs> oh well, definitely not that definitely yeah. not that But you know, you were saying you've been to Trash Bar. Mm-hmm. Trash Bar is a place that we've hosted parties at a couple of times. I, I think I think we've had three or four parties there overall. So like you know, two at like actual festivals, and then like two other ones for uh, just other events, like like video contests that we've done at IF3. And those guys are always like super down to work with us, and they're accommodating, and they've got a great venue for it. Again, you know, like very very grunge looking it's it, it's not fragile at all it's built to last built to have like skateboarders in it because like it's it's actually got a skate bowl in the bar um and a pretty decent capacity decent capacity but also small enough that I mean, you get you get like 200 people in there and it's packed and it really it really gives a good ambiance and um good spirit to the party so we've we've had a few parties there too uh and aside from being a sick venue they even like that that year so no not 2014 but 2015 so my my second edition of the, of the festival when we uh, we had another launch party at the trash bar they had a like an amazing night they they sold a ton of beer it's a crazy party and then the next day we had the JPO Claire memorial screening the guys showed up like the, the bar owners showed up and like gave us a check for 500 bucks for the foundation. He's like yeah. just like saying a thank you for coming to the party and cuz like they they had a really good night and they they just wanted to give back and I was like, "Wow." You know, you wouldn't necessarily you wouldn't really expect that from a bar owner, you know, just like stereotypically. No, those guys are were actually like real good shit and wanted to support the community and you know, they they come from a skateboarding background, so they I think they they kind of get it on a certain level too. Yeah. That's awesome. Do you ever think that um although it probably wouldn't be in Montreal that the New Scholars Awards have a future that that includes huge insane parties? Maybe. Maybe. Yes, but we would have to it would 
the venue would have to change for that because doing something in the in the context of Dutor and at Dutor in a mountain town like like at Copper, although you know mountain town if if you do something like say at Whistler or at Breckenridge is maybe different from doing it at Copper because Copper doesn't have as much of a nightlife as some of these other mountain towns do. So you know when we did it at Copper, we said okay yeah we're gonna do our our award show and then we can we'd like to do an after party, and then like the, the people of the venue like the the venue managers are saying like, well, you know, you, we could open up the bar for you guys downstairs and you guys could go have the party there. And we're like, well, ideally we'd like to do it in the same venue as the award show. Like even if it's just moving downstairs, it's, it's enough movement to lose some people. That's for sure. But they said like, because this place was connected to a hotel, you can't stay in there and make noise past 11. So, okay, fair enough. We'll take the bar downstairs and then, you know, it was fun, but, like, the after party turned into maybe, like, call it 70 people chilling at the bar, ordering food, ordering drinks, which was fun, but it wasn't, like, it wasn't a fucking after party. Like, it wasn't smashing urinals fun. No, no, <laughs> it was not smashing urinals fun, thank God. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so, so, you know, maybe eventually, but I think if we were to do... If we were to have an actual party for the award show, it would have to be more in the context of you know doing it in Denver or something, or we're back in Breckenridge, just just a place that's more accustomed to having a real nightlife, and maybe not during Dutor because Dutor like for Dutor athletes need to go to bed and get ready for their runs the next day. They can't get hammered and party until three in the morning. Which was a big part of why it was fun at IF3 for the athletes. Like They show up and they don't have much responsibility other than showing up to their film screening and presenting the film. So it was like a vacation for them. It was, it was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's so sick. I mean, I think you're in a good place having like that IF3 experience and taking on the responsibility of a, a new award show. So I think that uh, the New Schoolers Awards has a chance to, to continue to grow, which is good to see. I hope so. Uh, yeah, so... We are getting long, so I'll I'll, I'll cherry pick the two uh, the two viewer questions I'd like to hear again. Uh, the first one, throwing it back to your childhood, and I'm gonna need help with pronunciation on the name. But Mathieu, and then you know the rest of his name. Yeah, Mathieu Alexandre Poupal. You can call him Matt. There we go. There's so Matt asks, what does uh, PLC stand for? PLC PLC stands for Polycacat. Polycacat was something that he and I sort of came up with as we were filming for ski for a ski movie. And we, we didn't have a, a title for our ski movie yet. Um, but at some point we decided we'll we'll start using this term PLC, Polycacat. So sorry, Polycacat means in, in pretty much a direct translation to English for the cuties. So basically like justifying us going skiing and trying trying tricks or filming ourselves uh as as a way of appealing to the females <laughs> so it, 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 we we almost like, like we, we made a film called plc and we uh, basically decided that we're we're going to justify everything that we do as um as a move to get with the ladies and that that movie was a lot of fun to make and produce 
but it was very long and it was just as I was starting to work with IF3 while finishing university. And so it really took up the last bit of free time that I had. And so I, I had a bit of a mixed experience with it because it was just a lot of work. Um, but man, it was a lot of fun. We had a, a nice lo local premiere with, with all our friends joining, getting hammered at a local bar. We like rented out a projector and, and a screen and it was super fun. That's awesome. Is that available online anywhere? <laughs> it is. It, yeah, it's still on YouTube. Um, I would say, like, if if you're interested, yeah, I, I would look at the trailer rather than the full movie. Because the full movie is actually, like, 20 minutes long, which is really long. <laughs> like, in, looking back in hindsight, and um, to be honest, the trailer has all the bangers, so... Yeah, so for the last one, uh, this is from Sebagato. Uh, from IF3 Chile. So he says, uh, tell tell the viewers about your experience in Chile when you were down there with him. Oh, Chile. Chile was a hell of a time, man. Uh, so I, I went down there, I think it was summer of 2015, which is winter of 2015 in Chile. And it was my first time going down to South America. I got greeted at the airport with a joint. <laughs> These guys know how to receive guests. Um, uh, at least, yeah. <laughs> it, it was funny. So, like, you know, I get in the car with them. This is my, my first time meeting them face to face. We'd had a bunch of like Google Meets calls or Skype or whatever. And I get in the car with them, and they're like, "So, bro, you uh, you're from Canada, right?" Like, well, uh, yeah, you know, like we've been talking for for a while now. You you know, I'm from Canada. It's like, yeah. So so you're down with the weed, right? I'm like, yeah, sure. I was like. <laughs> he just like whips out a joint that he rolled up like just for my arrival and like he like hot hot box the, the the car as we're driving to the mountains from Santiago um you know and then we get up there and we we get to this place called Casa Corona and it's like this epic house with a crazy view in the mountains looking over Santiago like into the valley with like an epic sunset too they they do a lot of um just like shoots and, and like private events over there. It, it's owned by Corona. So Casa Corona and Corona was one of the main supporters of their festival that, that, that year. And I think, I think probably in the years to come after that too. Uh, but yeah, man, like talk about getting treated properly. Dude. Like, you know, I had an insane experience out there. So both out in the mountains and also for the events that they hosted in the city, like those guys did it properly, uh, you know. They're good at you know just getting good lo local and local engagement, local support. Um, they really had their shit together. So you know, big ups to that, and it's still going on today. I think I think it's only grown since that time that I went there for their first edition. So um, yeah, man, big ups to Selagato and also to Andres, who who you know th those two guys were my main boys out in Chile. That sounds like a lot of fun. I would love to get to that event one day. Um, and so for the last question, uh, we'll just kind of close it out. Um, so for all the young guys listening or anyone that wants to like start a career in skiing, but not as a professional skier, like what would your advice for them be? Yeah, I, I think get involved, Just get involved, build your network, meet people, get your name out there, you know, offer to help 
for no compensation. Like, you know, if you really want to get into it, like it's a very small circle of people that work in this, in this industry. And it's very easy to, uh, you know, to get some, to, to, to meet somebody who knows most of the people that you want to talk to or they, that you would want to be introduced to, to move your career forward. So, uh, you know, you do some favors, you get favors in return. So I think like, you know, if you really want to get into it, meet as many people as you can, because there's really not that many people to meet. And so if you meet, if you meet somebody, chances are they know somebody else who's pretty important and who could probably help you out uh, later on. So, you know, I think get, get into it with the right intentions and uh, yeah, just do the right moves, plan ahead and uh and have fun man because you know that that's what people who get into this industry for you know work in this that's that's why people work in this industry is not not just because because of the money obviously uh it's a fun industry to work in um so you know make sure again you're doing it for the right reasons that you know you like the sport you love the sport enough that you want this to become uh part of your career and let that show when you when you meet people the good thing is you're not going to be meeting too many people that want to get rich if you're trying to work in the ski industry. So you'll you'll be a lot of, you'll meet a lot of really nice really nice people that are in it for the right reasons. That's for sure. Yeah. A lot of great people who who like to party too uh, in particular. And that's something that I I learned really fast at IF3. Yeah. All right. Well, David, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for taking the time to redo this all. I think that uh we covered basically every point we covered in the lost episode and a bunch of new ones. So that was awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Have a good one. On the natural charge, bon voyage. Yeah, from the home of the Dodger Brooklyn squad. Who tank clubbies on the swamp. Rain on your college ass disc don't come. But you didn't even touch my skill. You gotta go to one killer B and he ain't gonna kill now. Chop that down. Pass it all around. Lyrics get hard, quick cement to the ground. For any MC and any 52 states, I get psycho. Killer, Norman Bay, my producer slam. My flow is like, bam, jump on stage, I 